I rekindled that passion. I rekindled that enthusiasm. And what I realized, it wasn't fitness that I lost passion for. It was owning gyms that I lost passion for. Because I absolutely thrive on helping people get fit, lose weight, and get healthy. It is what I was born to do. It's what I'll do for the rest of my life. It is not a love, it's a passion. Have you ever let stress get the better of you? Want to know how to maximize your productivity? My name is Tommy Bowie. Follow me as I deep dive into the minds of successful entrepreneurs and industry professionals on the tools, tips, and strategies they use to overcome stress and boost productivity in their daily lives, especially when the going gets tough and the stakes are high. This is the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. My guest today has worked in the fitness, nutrition, and fat loss coaching industry for 21 years. Throughout his time as a fitness coach, he's owned and sold multiple gyms, but now operates 100% online. As a young police officer, he remembers being overweight and when he was barely able to chase down a suspect, he knew that things needed to change or it could cost him his life. His desire to get fit exposed him to the world of fitness where he now has transitioned into. He takes a no BS approach to fitness and fat loss, no gimmicks, no fads, just real science. I have today with me, Jason Gargans. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today on the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate you having me on the show and I can't wait to uh, help your audience with some of this stuff. Jason, I wanted to get you on the show today because you have an incredible journey in terms of overcoming certain obstacles in your life. But instead of hearing it first from me, are you able to kind of tell us about yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am a online fat loss coach. That's what I do nowadays. Um, Mm -hmm. But my journey started when I left college, I became a police officer. My goal when I did that was to be a federal agent. That's what my stepdad did. And he's who raised me. So uh, that's, you know, what I had a vision of doing. And along that journey, I decided, well, I got into fitness. What happened was actually I gained weight. (laughs) And when I got on the road as as a police officer, you you guys have probably seen that before, police officers gaining weight, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it happened to me. And it's very easy to let that happen with that kind of job for a lot of reasons. But I gained a bunch of weight. And and what happened was I was actually in a foot chase where we caught some uh, or saw some uh, burglars coming out of a home. And there were six of them and I chased one on foot. And by the time I caught him and I say caught him in quotations because he actually fell down, I didn't actually catch Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I literally couldn't breathe. I went to get on my radio and tell dispatch that I had one in custody and I literally couldn't breathe. I mean, I was so out of breath. I was so tired. And what's funny is our cars have cameras on them. And if you go back and watch the tape, you can see me running after him. And it's not a pretty sight. It did not look good. I was overweight. I was slow. And it was a wake up call for me because I realized if this guy was not a threat necessarily, but there might be somebody one day who would be, and I could die in that situation. Mm -hmm. So it really started my fitness journey from that point forward. And at that time I was in, 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 um, you know, around 230 pounds ish and I ended up getting down to 175 pounds total. uh, And that was a little too much weight loss, but at the same time I was really fit. And what happened was you lose that much weight. People start coming to you and asking questions. How did you do it? And that started my journey. So I started training people. I left police work, opened a gym, owned gyms for a very long time, about 17 years. And then at some point I realized I was done owning gyms. That grind was 17 years. That was enough. And I could help more people and and get a little more enjoyment out of it if I did it online. So that's what I do now. So I've been a fat guy who lost weight. I understand what it's like. I understand the journey. I understand the stress it puts on you in a lot of different ways, both, uh, you know, physical, mental, and emotional. And now I I enjoy helping people overcome that. So that's kind of how I got to where I'm at today. The real, real brief version, trying to sum up 20 years in in a few minutes. But yeah, that's how we arrived where we're at today. 
Yeah, thanks for that introduction. A couple of things that I just want to mention there, going from police officer to owning a gym, what was the transition like? And was there a wake up call in terms of, you know, I don't like police work and there is something else out there for me? What was that progression like for yourself? Yeah, so th- there's a, a few ways to answer that. So first and foremost, I didn't become a police officer because I wanted to be a police officer. I want to be a federal agent. And to yep. be a federal agent at the time, you needed police work experience. I needed three years. So I was putting in my three years. That already is not really the right attitude to go into it with. You know, where it wasn't really my dream. It wasn't, I, I wasn't one of these guys that always want to be a cop. So I think I always sort of had one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. But at some point I also realized I don't really love police work at all. Even though a federal agent would be different, I don't love law enforcement like I hoped that I would. And when I lost a bunch of weight and I started helping people get fit, I loved it. And here's how it actually went down. My wife came to me one day and she said, you seem miserable lately. You know, you seem almost like you're depressed. And I don't know that I was depressed, but I probably came off that way. And she said, you know, I think something's got to change because this is not the man that I married. You're not the same person. And, and we got we to gotta figure some stuff out. And that was a wake up call that other people were seeing my misery. Mm-hmm. The shift I was on was seven in the morning till three in the afternoon. And mm-hmm. when I logged off at 6 a.m., I was thinking of every way I could call in sick. I could not go to work. I started having these conversations how I could not go. And it's like, well, this is not the way you're supposed to live. Yeah. I also, by nature, have a bit of a rebellious way about me. I don't love being told what to do. <laughs> I think that's common mm-hmm. amongst entrepreneurs. And in police work, you're being told what to do all the time. That was eating at me. And I realized over here with fitness that I could make my own way. I could help people the way I want to help people. And it was an avenue to entrepreneurship, which started to become an appealing thing to me. You know, so one day I went home and I had no idea at the time what I could do with fitness. I didn't realize that I could make a, a career out of it at the time. You know, I was young and I went home and I literally Googled fitness businesses. Yeah, fitness I loved and I wanted a business. So how can I, how can I mess the two? Mm-hmm. And I Googled fitness businesses and came across an opportunity. And from that day, I think it was 10 months later that I opened my first gym, left police work. And, and again, it, we took off from there. Yeah, 17 years in the fitness industry. What was that like? And, you know, you've converted to 100% virtual. So you're still doing the, the fitness side of things. But just take us back into that 17-year journey. What was that like for you? And did you go through a rough period? Man, let me tell you, <laughs> rough periods to say the least. So here's, <laughs> I'm a police officer with no business experience, no business training. I had no idea what I was doing to open that gym. Yep. And I remember the first day I opened the door of my brand new gym, brand new business owner. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, now what? <laughs> I had no idea what was next. I just, I kind of lived by the open it and they will come or build it and they will come philosophy. And I did. I sat there and, and I thought, well, surely people will come in. And here's the, I think the, the, wor- the best and worst part. The first day I opened, I had a lady walk by and she said, wait, what do you guys do here? And I said, oh, I do personal training and blah, blah, blah. She goes, oh, that sounds great. Here's my credit card, $3,000, day one. Wow. Okay. That, that was like the best and worst thing that could happen because it was great <laughs> because it gave me a little bit of money. Yep. But it was bad because it gave me false hope. I was thinking, oh, this is easy. I did not sign up another person for three months. <laughs> So wow. yeah, that, that three grand went really quick. And yeah, so that first year and a half of my first business, things got so lean. I also had my first child in, in that uh, time window. Mm. Things got so lean that I was literally digging for change in my drawers of my house to, to eat. So I, if I found, you know, 75 cents and quarters, I could go to McDonald's and grab a cheeseburger. It was that bad. And it's because I had no business experience. I, knew, I didn't know how to market. I didn't know how to sell. I don't know how to do anything. I knew how to train people. I knew how to get people fit. 
But if no one knows about you, then who cares, right? So, I mean, no one's going to come to you. So, um, there, literally, I would sign up one or two people a month, and my overhead was really high, which was another big mistake I made. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it got to the point where I was scrapping, you know, change together to, to eat. And I remember one specific Christmas after I opened, I remember being around friends and family at a party, and I just wasn't talking, I wasn't speaking, I wasn't engaging. And the reason was is because I couldn't afford Christmas presents for my wife. I couldn't afford Christmas presents for my son. I could not afford food for anybody. And here I'm at this party, everyone's happy, celebrating, festive, drinking, having a good time. And I couldn't even speak because I was so overwhelmed with, I've completely let my, let my family down. I left a steady paycheck and now I can't even make enough money to feed my family. So I went through lean times like that, but I tell people that it is the single greatest thing that ever happened in my business journey. If I could go back in time, I would relive every second of that, even though it was incredibly painful. Yep. Because what it did was it lit a fire under me and it, it forced me to go out and learn the things I needed to learn. I was too comfortable. And I hired a business coach. And the way I hired them was I actually made a sale and turned that money and gave it right to a business coach and, and prayed that it would come back to me before I had to pay, make payroll again. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that business coach ended up you know, helping me quite a bit and, and learned, teaching me systems and sales and marketing. And then it's been a never-ending learning journey since then. Not that we haven't had lean times along the way. There's been some really stressful times. You know, 2008, when the, the market crash was a tough time and things like that. But at, at the end of the day, it has forced me, those tough times have forced me to level up and, and learn things and learn new skills and better myself. And, and I kind of live by the mantra that what got me where I'm at now won't get me to where I want to go. So I'm always having to learn new things. And um, if I didn't go through that tough time, I don't know that I would learn that lesson. I'd have been like, 95% of entrepreneurs shut things down and went back to get a steady paycheck. Yeah. And when we talk about stress and stress management, there's always that understanding that we need to go through a certain level of stress to understand what that feels like. So mm-hmm. when we reframe it as, let's say, for example, we're feeling low or, or we're feeling down because we've, we know how it feels to be down when we actually get up to a position that we're comfortable it's almost as if we don't want to get back down there. So it, it just drives us to do even better. And it keeps us also staying humble as well because we've, we we know what that looks like. So we're not going to, in a sense, risk it all to kind of lose that again. Yeah, agreed. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> I think being an entrepreneur is the most, the, the number one thing you can do to stay humble and not let your ego grow too big because the minute it does, I told the story the other day. I remember that once things started to take off a little bit for me, the, my first gym, I remember going to the bank one day and I withdrew money and the balance was like $47,000. And I remember, I never had that much money to make in my entire life. And I remember thinking, I've made it. That was yep. February. By August, it was all gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had lost, you know, just because like I said, I told my overhead was high and in the summer months, I didn't sign up as many people and that bank account started going this way. And, you know, the minute you get up here, you know, you're going to be taught a lesson really quick that, that brings you back down to earth. Yeah, talking about overheads as well, we know that that could be one of the downfalls of a traditional brick and mortar store. Was that one of the reasons why you decided to convert to a 100% virtual type of environment or was there a different motivation behind that? Yeah, that's just one of the reasons for sure. I mean, I enjoy the idea of helping a broader range of people other than people right here in my community. I still help people here too, but I like broadening those horizons a bit. But at the end of the day, to give you an idea, my, the gym I'm speaking about, the first one I opened, my overhead was about $27,000 a month. Yep. You're talking about, we, we, were, we, we became pretty successful, but we had like six coaches on staff. We were in a retail space, so my rent was about five, 6000 a month. 
you know, by the time you do payroll, rent, payroll taxes, utilities, marketing, we're getting about 27,000 a month. So every month I woke up, the, you know, the first of the month, I had to go make $27,000 just to keep things moving forward. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of stress. And then, you know, I owned a few more gyms in the process, but the last gym I owned, my overhead was very similar. We had 11 coaches working for us at one time. We had, you know, an admin that worked. We had all this overhead and every month, now it was more of a recurring revenue model as opposed to the first one, which was not, but, um, but so that helped. But at the end of the day, you still had to make, you know, $30,000 a month just to make it. And that is a lot of money every month to have to ensure this coming in the door. And you realize that, that you don't have to do it that way. Doing virtual online, I can help people. In fact, I think I help people better now than I ever have because I don't have money in the back of my head. I would see you as a dollar sign. Yep. Not because I'm greedy and want to get rich, because I needed to keep the lights on. So when you came in, it was like, I need money, I need money. And that's not the right mentality. That's not how you should approach someone's health and fitness. Now, because overhead is remarkably low, I can see you as who you are. I can help you. I'm calm. I'm less stressed. I'm more patient. I'm more understanding. I'm all these things because I'm not worried about making payroll. I'm worried about helping you. So that has been one of the best, most freeing parts of moving online is that one thing. There's no more massive overhead. Yeah, before we talk in detail about what it is that you do now, I do want to go back and kind of talk about that transition from brick and mortar to virtual. You know, you've made some successes, you learned how to run a traditional business. Now it's all virtual. Were there some challenges along that way as well? <clears throat> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it, listen, nothing you do is not without challenge. Uh, yeah. Vir the virtual world is a whole new world. It is a different animal. It is, to me, it's night and day. I mean, there's some crossover, but it is night and day between brick and mortar. Brick and mortar, I did that for so long. You're right there in the community. People know where you are. You know the people in your community. There's already this inherent built-in trust. You know, it's almost like the mentality of something goes wrong, I know where to find you kind of thing. But here I am in, near Atlanta, Georgia in the U.S. If some dude in Australia or some dude in Wisconsin or some girl in England wants a coach, she doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know who I am. There's no built-in inherent trust. Yep. There's a heightened risk for the person on the other end because I'm just some dude you're seeing over the internet. Overcoming those trust issues and building up trust and building up authority and building up a name for yourself and a brand takes way longer virtually than it does brick and mortar. You know, brick and mortar in the community, you pop a sign up, everyone drives by, sees you, and then do a little bit of local marketing and, and you can get the word out pretty quick. It's a lot harder this way. So you really got to spend a lot of time building that brand, that authority, that trust and that's, you know, done through consistent content, you know, helping people for free as much as you can. And that's taking time. And somebody told me when I first started this, this is going to take, you know, two to three years to really get it humming. And that's about the trajectory it's taken is, is about that long because of all the things I said. So beyond that, there's technology things you have to learn. There's, you know, new systems you have to learn. It's, again, it's a completely different business model, the brick and mortar. But for me, maybe because I did one for so long and I was burned out on it, it's been incredibly enjoyable. I thoroughly enjoy getting up every day and doing what I do. And I couldn't have said that, you know, the last few years that I own gyms. Yeah. And I think it comes down to what you said before was just the overheads, right? Now that your overheads are so low, you don't have to be in that desperation mode when it comes to getting clients. You know, you can actually provide more value and the money just comes with it. And I think also, although there is more exposure, you do need to understand the traffic sources and how you, you get traffic to you because... In the World Wide Web, if you don't know how to get traffic or get leads, then you might as well be a traditional brick and mortar store because you won't get any exposure. Yeah, and a mistake I made and a mistake I see a lot of people making that are a little bit behind where I'm at 
is I was kind of taken by the shiny object syndrome. I would try something for a week or two, didn't work, move to this thing, didn't work, move to this thing, didn't work, move to this thing. Yep. And what I finally realized is, is you've got to, again, figure out lead generation, of course. But once you have your system of doing that, you gotta, you got you got to work it, grow it, stick with it, get consistency because the market rewards consistency, right? If I'm always switching offers, switching, you know, there's this inherent loss of trust. And when you have a consistent offer, a consistent message, everything's consistent. It may take a while. And that's where I think people lose their patience and people start to think, well, I've got to try something else. But if you stay consistent with it over time, A, you'll get better at delivering your message. You'll get better at, at the things you're doing, but also the market will reward that consistency and, and fully understand what it is that you do. And you'll start to reap the benefits from there. But I know I was jumping around like crazy when I first started trying to, you know, try the, the latest, greatest, you know, thing that this coach was teaching. And I saw this online. I'm going to try this. And yeah, for about one year, I got nowhere. And it wasn't until I had something consistent that we started to see growth. Mm. You're sounding very much like an entrepreneur there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Talking about that, what is it that you do now? And who is it that you help? So I am an online fitness coach. And let me tell you what drives me crazy about my industry. And it'll help kind of lead into to what I do. But my industry is full of charlatans and people who are looking to make a quick buck. The people who make or do the best oftentimes online training are your influencers who really know nothing about health and fitness. They're selling the latest detox, the latest pill, supplement sales, all these big promises that, that don't deliver. But because they have a nice body, they have a nice message, they have good branding, people eat it up. And it's having a really negative effect on our health as a society because most of that junk doesn't work. Yep. I'm an evidence-based, science-based fat loss coach. For me, and what evidence space means is this. this is if I was coaching somebody on, on, on how, to, how to lose weight, how to get fit, I would meld three things together. The scientific research, which I spend reading every single day. The real research. I mesh that with anecdotal application of. I have the, the blessing of doing this 21 total years now. And I've been able to put these things into practice with thousands of people and take the clinical research and see that it does work in real life application. But also the third element being the client's lifestyle and preferences. Right. So when we mix those three, that's how you build a really good long term plan. You know, I always say weight loss is actually pretty easy. Anyone listening, I would almost guarantee you has lost weight in their life at some point, probably mm -hmm. many times over. Mm -hmm. The problem is, have you kept it off? <laughs> that's the hard part. And when you have an approach that's not a quick fix or some kind of a, a, a scam or a gimmick, you have a real chance at accomplishing real long lasting weight loss as opposed to losing weight and losing the same 20 pounds 50 times in your life. So that's how, what I pride myself on is, is separating myself from the gimmicks and the fads and, and implementing the real science, the real research and the real life application of, and if we can get together and, and mix that with your lifestyle and preferences. So I know that it's going to stick. You know, if I come in there and say, Hey, do this diet. Yeah, but I don't like these foods. I don't care. This is what works. You do this diet. That's not going to last. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that last element of your lifestyle and preferences. And then we take those elements and we build a nutrition and exercise and movement plan that you can carry on for the long haul. And, um, and, and that's how you're going to see the, the best long-term benefits and not just flash in the pan weight loss, which so many people experience. Yeah. Two things that you mentioned there, first being science-based and obviously understanding the client's context. Uh, that's important because it's about what they want, what are their goals and what they want to achieve. Obviously, losing weight as, as quickly as possible isn't necessarily the right way to do it. 
Um, and then second thing you mentioned there was providing a personalized program, whereas it's not just about that one diet or that one approach. Have you seen in terms of customer feedback, because people want short-term fixes, and this is more about a long-term strategy, introducing the habits. Is it tough for you to kind of get those people to understand that it's a, it's a long-term strategy? Yeah, sometimes. So usually by the time someone comes to me, they, they listen to my stuff and they understand the science about why I teach what I teach. And, and one of the first things I tell people, and there's really two ways to answer that question. First and foremost, the first thing I tell people is patience is going to be your best ally. Yep. Right. And there's a lot of things that can happen when you lose weight too quick. And this is, this is one of the things, you know, we, we make weight loss, we oversimplify it. It's like, we know that it's hard to maintain weight loss, but at the same time, we always want to do it on our own. And it's one of these things that, that it's a very complicated, your, your body's a very complicated machine. It does not want you to lose weight. That is the harsh reality. It likes having a little bit of padding. It's a survival instinct from the brain. The brain likes, you know, having body fat because if we hit famine or we you know, can't find food, then it can live off that and you can survive. Because your brain cares about survival, not how you look in a pair of jeans, right? Yep. So the body wants to hold on. So it's fighting you every step of the way. And we have to find ways to overcome that fight and, and still accomplish the goal. Well, patience is the first thing I teach people. However, <laughs> the dichotomy of it is that we also know about research that the people who lose weight the quickest right up front, not maybe over months, but right up front, tend to have the best level of adherence. Because some about losing that first 10 pounds really dials you in and helps you keep moving forward. And so it really becomes a balance of patience and being a little bit aggressive. Because the one thing to say, hey man, be patient with your weight loss, and then four weeks in, you've lost one pound, that becomes a really tough sell. You know, it's, it's a tough sell for your, your own brain to accept that you've only lost one pound, but I better hang on, because if I'm patient, it's gonna work. That doesn't always fly. So, you know, what I try to do with my clients is, and this is really what it comes down to. How can we be, we be the most aggressive we can be, but also make it sustainable? And it's finding that fine line. So, you know, sustainable aggression <laughs> is what it is. And if we're too aggressive, it's unsustainable. It's just going to be another failure. And it's going to set you back even further than when you started. If we're not aggressive enough, then it's not going to happen quick enough for your mind to accept that, hey, I need to keep moving forward. So it's finding, and that's where the individuality comes in. That looks different for everybody. So again, it's finding that line. What's the, the most aggressive approach we can take that you can stick with? That takes, you know, a, a while to develop. You know, when I meet with clients um, virtually, we spend an hour, hour and a half in that first call, ask, mm -hmm. ask about 50 questions to try to figure this stuff out. Then we puzzle piece it together and build a plan because it does. It, there's no cookie cutter solution that works for everybody. You know, there's some absolutes in fat loss. You know, maintaining a consistent caloric deficit is a scientific absolute. Mm -hmm. However, the, the, the way we maintain that deficit is going to literally look different for everybody. And the analogy I give people all the time is money, right? If you want more money, you need to make more, spend less, save more, right? Yep. That's the universal truth. However, how you do that is going to look different for everybody. People are going to mm -hmm. make money in different ways. They're going to save money in different ways. They're going to spend their money in different ways. But it doesn't change the universal truth that we have to spend less than we make if we want to save money. Well, if we want to burn fat, we need to take in less than we burn. But how we do that is very individualized. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I have friends who are quite in the fitness industry and some people are in the intermittent fasting camp, whereas others would be the, you know, you got to eat six times a day. Others would be keto and all that jazz. I'm just like, it just all depends on your, your habits and what suits you the most, you know, which one's most comfortable for you in doing so that you can kind of achieve your goals. Funny that you say that it's individualized. 
the reason why I ask this question is because a lot of us, well, there are people out there who struggle to actually go to the gym or to exercise. And so do you have any quick tips for those people who just find it hard to get started or be consistent with their training? Yeah. So getting started and being consistent, I kind of put in two different camps. Yeah. I think the reason people have the hardest time getting started is because they overestimate what it is they need to be doing. And they end up telling themselves they need to do things that they hate. And neither one of those are true. So here's what I mean. If you haven't worked out in 10 years, there is no need for you to go run five miles the first day. There's no need for you to go do a CrossFit class that's going to destroy you. I'm not anti-CrossFit. I owned a CrossFit gym for a long time. But the point is, day yeah. one, you don't need to go kill yourself in a gym. You don't need to do something that's going to just make you puke in a trash can right off the bat. That inherently is going to make us run away because we are creatures of comfort, right? We run towards comfort and run away from pain instinctively. So if I think that's going to be painful, my first instinct is to run away from it. But if it's manageable and doable, then maybe it's not so bad after all. And I know that I have a lady I'm training right now and she's you know, pretty out of shape. And her first workouts were six minutes long, six minutes. That's it. And they were very simple. And I remember her texting me saying, no, that wasn't too bad. That's the idea. Because the point is we want to get the momentum built up. You know, people talk a lot about being motivated. Motivation is a bit of a myth because it comes and goes. It's mm. momentum we're looking for. And if we can get you started with something manageable, doable, we can build that momentum slowly but surely. And that six minutes can become eight minutes, can become 10 minutes, can become 15 minutes. So if we start slow and build steadily and with intentionality, but we don't go too fast. And, and here's the other side of the coin. You find something that you might actually enjoy. So I hate to run. I hate it. So guess what? I don't run. <laughs> so there's no magic formula or no special fitness book that says you got to run to get fit. There's nothing you have to do that gets no one thing you got to do to get fit. There's a lot of ways you can get fit. There's cardio, running, swimming, biking. There's weightlifting. There's something like CrossFit. There's boot camps. There's martial arts. There's Pilates, yoga. I mean, there's so many different things you can do. It's playing sports. You know, the older we get, we forget that sports is a great way to build fitness and it's a fun way to build fitness. So get back into tennis, get back into basketball, get back into whatever it is that, that, that you enjoy, but find something you like. So think about this for a second. If you take those two concepts, I'm going to find something I actually like, and I'm going to start slow and build up over time. So if I like basketball, maybe I'm not going to go, you know, play three hours of pickup ball day one, but maybe I'll play 10, 15 minutes and then build that up over time. Now we're not doing too much too soon. We're not in this situation where, you know, we're having to run away from pain because we think it's going to be awful and we're doing something we actually like, you know? So it, what you find with a lot of personal trainers is they have their methodology, their way of doing things. And they want you to conform to that because that's what worked for them. And they can never leave that box of, I need my clients to do what worked for me. And what worked for me was two hours in the gym, killing myself, doing cardio six days a week and eating grilled chicken and broccoli every meal. That's what worked for me. So that's what my clients are going to do. Mm. without giving any thought to the fact that maybe your client doesn't want to do that. And when you tell them to do that and then they start and quit, you're actually making it worse because any belief they had in their ability to succeed tanks. And now there's just another failure on their resume and they're worse off than when they started. So it, it's, it's don't try to do too much too soon and experiment till you find something you like. And once those two come together, and this can be a little bit of a long-winded answer because now we got to get to the other side, which is consistency. And there's a lot of things that go into consistency and it's a lot of things I already named, you know, but, but being consistent, and again, it's a lot about momentum and we already established how we kind of build that. But things like having it scheduled, like having the, uh, a workout at the same time every day, 
-hmm. If you leave workouts to whenever you can fit them in, you're not going to fit them in. You know, life is throwing too much at us. Our schedules are too packed to just fit it in, right? What will happen is you'll get towards the end of the day, you'll be exhausted, and you're not going to work out. So can we, we, can we schedule it, make it non-negotiable, like a doctor's appointment, right? We're not just willy-nilly canceling doctors, important doctor's appointments. Well, this is an important appointment with yourself. And as entrepreneurs, I'll tell you this, as entrepreneurs and doing it for 20 years, that's something that we're lacking almost above all else is taking time for us because we feel the pressure every minute of every day to deliver, to, to put 18, 20 hour days in all these things you hear, which by the way, I've got a theory on that. I think all these gurus that preach 18 hour days are full of crap, but, uh, <laughs> um, but we feel this pressure and we think if we pull away and over here and, and take care of ourselves or work out or that we're taken away from our ability to make money. And at the end of the day, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> you are actually enhancing your ability to make money when you take better care of yourself. You know, but having a non-negotiable chunk in your schedule where that's your time to work out, whether it's right when you wake up, whether it's lunchtime, uh, I'm a bigger fan of that than I am trying to do it at night. Because I think mm-hmm. by the time you're tired, your willpower's waned a little bit. That takes away from family time at night often, which is, is a tough sell. So that's one of the ways with the mix of the other stuff I said that we can be consistent with it. And then what happens is, you start to be consistent, you start to build momentum, you start to get results, you start to feel better, sleep better, look better, and that momentum is like a snowball that grows. And then it starts to be a self-fulfilling prophecy and it just becomes a part of your life. But that's where I always tell people to start in, in, in those areas. Yeah, I do want to recap that answer. You mentioned momentum. As I'm thinking about when I usually go back to the gym after not being there for a while, it's almost as if I need to go extra hard because I feel like because I've missed out on that time, that I do need to, to do that. But then you end up being extra sore and you're in so much pain that you, you can't go back to the gym until probably like five or six days or even a week's time. So that affects the, the approach. So I love your recommendation in kind of progressing into that and then building into that um, using momentum. Yeah, absolutely. The second thing was using it as a way to kind of give time for us. I used to use going to the gym as a form of meditation because it got me away from the busy life that was work. And, you know, it was just me, headphones or, you know, just the pieces of equipment. It gives me time to think as well. So I really like that approach. Yeah, agreed. 100% with that. Talking about CrossFit, we know that this sport of CrossFit has been turned upside down all because of one person's actions, the CEO, Greg Glassman. What are your thoughts on that entire uh, you can say scandal at the moment. I don't own a CrossFit gym anymore. Um, and I'm still a fan of the methodology. I think is oftentimes implemented poorly. You can talk about it or not talk about, it, but uh, but there's been actually more recent news is CrossFit just sold. Yep. So you know, so there was Greg Glassman who owned it. He stepped down. Dave Castro became the the CEO, and then within a week or two of that, Glassman sold CrossFit. So now a guy named Eric Rosa owns it, and who knows where it's going to go? But um, He's a CrossFitter. I know he's owned a CrossFit gym for a very long time. And I think people have high hopes uh, because you got a really solid fitness methodology that has been in a lot of ways executed poorly. It's been executed brilliantly in some ways too. Don't get me wrong, but in some ways it's been executed poorly, but I still follow it. I still do those type of workouts for my, my style of training. I just, it's what I enjoy, uh, but it's, uh, it's going to be interesting next few years to see what CrossFit does because it was at the top of the mountain. And it's kind of coming down the mountain and we'll see if they can get it back on top. It's going to be really fascinating to watch. Yeah, yeah. I try not to have this podcast be kind of uh, political or mention anything in that regard. So if any of our listeners wants to kind of know what's happening in terms of the CrossFit fiasco, you can say, they can go online and and just Google that up because there's plenty of articles. 
But I do want to talk more about, I guess, that from a business point of view, where you have someone who has run and created a very successful company and has 15,000 affiliates across the globe. And all because of his one action has created a snowballing effect that has affected the, the business as a whole. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you think we can move forward in terms of um, improving business for the future? So I think with Greg Glassman, I think it's a fundamental case of when you kind of lose touch a little bit with the people you're trying to serve. And I don't know Greg personally, I'm just going to give you my perceptions, but it's a little, this kind of sometimes when arrogance kicks in a little bit and yeah. you think you can't be touched and you think you can't be brought down. And at the end of the day, you get a little too loose with your words. And sometimes when you get loose with your words, the truth comes out about how you really feel. And you say things that you end up regretting. And I think if he had to, to go back in time, he would change some things he's done. But who knows if that's what's in his heart or not? We don't know. Um, all we know is what his words said and what is, I know that he's done a lot of great things for people. Again, I don't know the man, so I'm not going to cast any dispersions on that. Um, I know he's, he's helped a lot. Of, he's changed a lot of lives. But he also stepped in it <laughs> with, <laughs> over the past month or so. So yep. I think as a, as a former CrossFit owner and a CrossFitter myself, I think with some of the some of the changes that happened in CrossFit, even the year or two before that, I, it, this is a feeling I have, and because I don't know the inner workings of the, of the business, it feels like it was time for a change. It feels like it was time for new blood, new thoughts, new ideas. And I think when you get somebody as energetic as Eric Rosa seems to be, and somebody who really loves the sport of CrossFit and really loves or, or sees potential and what the future of it can be, I think a lot of great things can happen. I think what happens too is when Greg Glassman does and says what he did and said, is it breaks trust between the affiliate owners, the members of the gyms, and headquarters, HQ. And when that trust is broken, it's hard to rebuild. And I think having new blood in there is going to help mend those fences a little bit quicker. I think Eric Rosa is going to has got a little bit of an uphill battle because people are going to be you know watching with very close eyes what happens. But based on what I've seen about him, he seems like an incredibly sharp guy. And I think that the future can be bright. But I do think it was time for a change. I think you do anything for long enough. It's like CrossFit's been around for 20 years-ish, something like that. That's, that's a long time to do one thing. And you do, your yep. thoughts get stale, your energy wanes, your enthusiasm wanes. I know my CrossFit gym, I owned it for eight years. And I know the last year or two were the worst for me as an owner because I lost my enthusiasm. And we had uh, a couple of members uh, come through and offer to buy it. I sold it. And they came in with all these great ideas. They brought enthusiasm back. And you saw the gym. We were really successful. But you saw it start to dip a little bit. When that new blood came in, man, it took off again because until COVID hit, but it, uh, but because you got the enthusiasm and I think the same thing we might see with CrossFit, I think the future has potential to be very bright. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your opinion on that. Sure. You mentioned COVID-19 there. We know that the fitness industry is being hurt by COVID-19, especially the face-to-face -face, um, interactions. Has it impacted your business at all now that you're virtual? It's really hard to gauge that. It hasn't. I've grown, I've grown over the last four months. So I guess in that sense, no, but has it stunted growth? I'm not really sure. I will tell you though, that moving forward, excuse me, online is going to be the way that fitness moves towards. I think because especially short-term, because of the inherent fear people are gonna have to go to a gym. If, if you look at like testing they've done on gyms where they test equipment, it's not as dirty as we think it is, but because of recession of sweating and you know, breathing heavy and we get this idea that gyms are cesspools of germs mm. and, and, and surely if they're not taken care of, they can be, but the perception is reality. And as long as people think gyms are filthy, 
they're going to be scared to go back. At the same time, they still have fitness goals they want to accomplish. And that opens the door for the online world. And I, I saw, I read something the other day that was saying that the brick and mortar side of fitness could lose up to $10 billion in the next year or so, which all might be, or, or a great percentage might be funneled back to the online. So people can get advice, coaching like you and I are talking right now and, and, and get a, a customized plan, but execute it on their own in, the, in their own home where they can trust that it's clean and they're not being exposed to anything. So I think that the future of fitness is very interesting. It's, it's, um, and you never know, things could slowly go back to the way they were, but for the, for the foreseeable future, online is going to be rapidly growing in the world of health and fitness because of their, it greatly limits the risk that people are exposed to uh, as opposed to going to a gym. Yeah, and it's kind of similar to the concept of working from home. Now that people have converted to working from home, they understand that they've created that structure. It may be difficult for them to go back and work in the office because they have developed a system to kind of work from home. I know that when COVID hit, uh, I tried to look for fitness equipment, but I was looking for it too late because it was every, everywhere was completely sold out. You couldn't get it, everything. Everything was more expensive. So, you know, same analogy. I think people will start to understand, well, how can I inter introduce workouts at home and so that it, it makes it more convenient for them they're at home they're safe and stuff like that yep. talking about the future what's kind of next for yourself where do you see yourself in the next 12 to 24 months continue to do what i'm doing when i was towards the end of my tenure owning gyms i remember saying to somebody i don't know if i've lost my passion for fitness i just don't i don't feel the enthusiasm anymore when i sold the gym and i started doing online I rekindled that passion. I rekindled that enthusiasm. And what I realized, it wasn't fitness that I lost passion for. It was owning gyms that I lost passion for. Because I absolutely thrive on helping people get fit, lose weight, and get healthy. It is what I was born to do. It's what I'll do for the rest of my life. It is not a love. It's a passion. And I continue to see myself growing within the online world and helping as many people as I can, as many ways as I can. And within that, I feel it's my duty to spread the truth of fat loss and fitness and really try my best as one man can do. There's a lot of people out there trying to do the same to debunk the myths, the lies, the misinformation, the gimmicks. We need to suppress that because it is, those things are keeping people fat. It really is. And we need to spread the truth of the science. Here's the thing. Weight loss has been studied like you wouldn't believe. It is one of the most studied things in the world. We know how weight loss works. It's not a mystery. The reason the whole world doesn't know it is because you got all these other things out there that are confusing people. Yep. So if I can spend the next 12, 24 months helping as many people as I can, but also helping spread the word about the true science of how this stuff really works. So, you know, going into fat loss or fitness, whatever you're trying to accomplish, muscle building. So, you know, that you're doing it the right way and not being duped is very important to me. It is important that we get back to the integrity and ethics of health and fitness. And I feel it's my job to do that along with helping people accomplish their goals. And, and as many people as I can do that with over the next year or two, uh, the better. Yeah, that, that's great to hear that, you know, it's, it's about the customer and you feel as though you have the duty to ensure that they're healthy and safe. So I do w wish you massive success in the future. Thank you, man. Jason, we're just running out of time. Any top tips when it comes to stress and stress management that you'd like to give to our entrepreneurs? No, I just, uh, I would just leave everyone with these words because I know stress is a, stress is funny. It, it, we talk about nutrition, we talk about exercise, we can even talk about sleep, which I think obviously plays into stress, but the one outlier that people don't quite know how to handle is stress because it can derail everything you're trying. You can have the most perfect plan 
and having a very overwhelmed, stressed out life can kill all those plans. And at the end of the day, spending as much time as we can limiting stress is important. And I can't tell you how nutrition and exercise can really help with stress. Nutrition and exercise and sleep, I'll throw that one in there too, can cure so many things that we don't even realize. And stress is one of those. So it is scientifically backed. It is anecdotally backed that if you can apply yourself and, and, and adhere to an exercise program that you enjoy, eat in a way that you enjoy that gets the weight off, you're going to be less stressed, more productive, make more money, be a better entrepreneur, better father, better wife, better parent. You're going to be a better overall human being if you do that. So there's a lot of ways to relieve stress. There's a lot of ways to feel better, but don't ever discount or forget about nutrition and, and exercise in that because it is a it plays a massive role. Um, just want to make sure that, that people understand and grasp that concept. Yep, yep. Thank you so much for that tip. And it's almost as if we need to think about our health as a holistic point of view. You know, it's not just about eating well. It's about uh, our thought process. You know, what, what are we thinking about? Are we sleeping enough? So it, it's that not just the root cause, but understanding everything as a whole and kind of integrating for improved health and life overall. Totally agree. Yep. Jason, again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure being on, man. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. There you have it, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Stressless Entrepreneur Podcast with me, your host, Tommy Bowie. If you like what you've heard today, please make sure you subscribe to our show and share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a review so that we can take on your comments, grow with you as a channel, and keep providing you quality, stress-free content. If you have a story to tell or just want to say hi, drop me an email on hello at thestresslessentrepreneur.com. I'll catch you all on the next episode.